Welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one big idea at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you this wonderful morning. How you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Uh, good. Got lots of caffeine in me and still working on some more. Uh, that helps. Yes. Yeah. So, That's it. Yeah, I have a mild you? amount of caffeine in me, and I'm still a little loopy. Okay, so yeah, this is gonna be I, a fun way to start this season. Yeah, this is something like I've had like 24 ounces of coffee so far, something like that. So, oh yeah, my, see, that's good. how much I was having before my heart thing came up, and I and I had to like go cold turkey on caffeine. Right. Yeah. No, maybe. I'm uh, am I am I headed in that direction? Hopefully not. Having a lot of coffee is a happy day. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hey everybody, so we are uh, starting off this new season and we are going to be trying in, trying out some new things. First of all, these are generally going to be shorter episodes and they're also going to be generally bunched or themed or around different themes and patterns in the text that we're going to be exploring. So instead of going chapter by chapter, uh, or half chapter by half chapter, like we have in the previous three seasons, we decided, you know what, going through one of the Gospels, it's going to be um, probably a little bit more productive of your time for us to be honing in on certain uh, phrases that were particularly consequential in Brandon's translation of this, the fourth Gospel. Uh, so it either is a pattern across the entire book or uh, just a particular, this may only show up one time, but it had such an interesting consequence to us that we wanted to make sure you got to um, explore that with us as well. So this season, we're going to be talking through the fourth gospel that's traditionally called the gospel according to John or just John. We'll also go along with those names, uh, although we are skeptical of it being <clears throat> written by John. Uh, but we'll get into that in a future episode. So I want to just start off by talking today. This episode is just going to be the groundwork of a good summary of what the fourth gospel is all about, how we experience it, and what to look for. So let's dive into that. First of all, Brandon, I want to hear like how did you experienced this book growing up? What was the role of John and the Christianity that you experienced from childhood and on into like seminary? Yeah. Well, I think a really good example of kind of how I experienced it being used overall uh, was my first encounter with it was I, in the first several years of my life, I did had no connection with church or Bible or anything. Um, when I was 11, I answered an altar call, the every head bowed, every eye closed, and make eye contact with me if if you want to do this Jesus thing. Um, so I only did that. I know. <laughs> right. Well, it's the bait and switch. Make eye contact with me, real subtle. And then after, everyone who made eye contact with me stand up. <laughs> so, yeah. but a little manipulative. Yeah. Uh, but afterward, it's like, if you're one of those people, come see me. And then he, he gives you like 
a brochure for the church and a little gospel of John. Like not a whole Bible, just the one book. You only got the one. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think people tend to see it as like the evangelistic Bible, like the the book, like the one where this is, this tells the gospel. This is the one you use to win people into the church to to hook them Um, it's got all the proofs that jesus is god right like that's that's the idea it doesn't have any of those confusing parables and it even has the line at the end of like and this was written so that those of you who have not seen may also believe Mm -hmm. right and it uses like testimony or witness a lot yeah um good reasons understandable reasons why that's how our tradition like decided to handle this book yeah it elevates jesus the most i think um where because he uses a lot of the i am like this really important i am everything i'm the way the truth and the life um not that jesus isn't important in the other three absolutely but it's it's uh it's a easier connection to make that like jesus is the pinnacle in in this one jesus is divine like it yeah just in, in, more focused on that in in more academic parlance it has a comparatively at a surface level anyway higher christology than the synoptic gospels mm-hmm. matthew mark and luke sure so it's it's kind of like matthew mark and luke have the sense of um their focus on Jesus is Jesus being the Christ is being the king of one particular people, but they, you know, they clearly have a sense of the trajectory of how that and what the implications of that are for the whole world, mm-hmm. for people beyond that one, um, you know, elect group. John and the people writing this gospel have really begun to tease out the implications of it, both, um, I guess, an international sense of what the implications of Christ are, as well as the, oh God, mm-hmm. how am I going to say this? The ontological and metaphysical implications of uh, Jesus being, how Jesus relates to yeah. God. The cosmic Yeah, it seems reality. to be. There, there is yeah. some trajectory. There's, there's continuity and uh, also developments simultaneously between mm-hmm. these two. So we can have distinction without necessarily tension. That's how I hold it anyway but yeah Yeah. this guy clearly has a um a stranger uh, vision of christ than um a more audacious yeah yeah at least uh A somewhat more otherworldly, at least depending on how you're reading it, or maybe how you're translating it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and I yeah. guess Paul also develops a lot of that stuff too. But yeah, mm-hmm. suffice to say, Jesus is um, the portrait of how Jesus relates to God in this gospel is different, as well right. as how Jesus relates to people outside of the uh, covenant community. Right. Yeah, it's often seen as being much more for Gentiles. Um, which is even in things where it, like it'll take an Aramaic word and then explain it in Greek mm-hmm. um, several times throughout. Like it talks about rabbi, 
and it says, which means teacher, um, which doesn't actually literally translate to teacher, but it's like trying to explain to other people groups, like that's what you call a teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, stuff like that, but. Well, where were we were talking about like how we experienced this growing up. So for you, it was this this evangelistic yeah. gospel with an, a right. strong emphasis on like Jesus is God, and that's the selling point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Including all the signs, miracles to prove that Jesus was the divine. Like only someone who's God could do that, right? And it's like, wait, have you not read your Hebrew Bible and all the <laughs> prophets doing impressive things <laughs> like okay yeah you know that's yeah. what you want to how you want to see it i guess but it, that's but that's how i kind of grew up with like that's what the signs are pointing to that he's god mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and so the mirror it's like miracle after miracle after miracle the the punchline mm -hmm. of it is but jesus was actually god which right i mean yeah sure mm -hmm, he is uh, yeah and, and i don't think that's what the signs were actually pointing to yeah yeah and we'll get into that here and there later mm -hmm. um i think the way i grew up with this uh book was very similar to yours um you know people of any uh distance or proximity to christianity in america if there's one bible verse with the numbers included that they know at least it's mm -hmm. john three sixteen. Yeah. holding up the sign at a football game because yeah, that absolutely. accomplishes yeah something mm -hmm. yeah if you read this it'll all go good from there um i think as as i um settled into adulthood though reading this gospel it became clear that it does also have a real legacy of historically being some of the language that other translations use hmm. have really been strong um, footholds for anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yep. Um, in particular, uh, using the language of the Jews doing this and the Jews doing that. Mm -hmm. It's just a bad translation. And we'll get into that a little later. But it's important to be aware of this legacy of how we hold this book and have a mm -hmm. particularly high scrutiny for not letting the devil of anti-Semitism have a foothold in how um, we carry this sacred literature forward. Right. Yeah. You can't like Jesus and hate Jews. It's not possible. No, sir frowned upon uh so what's going to be helpful for folks to know about john as we move forward i mean for starters yeah. like literarily tell me about like how it's different from the synoptics beyond the christ yeah yeah we uh hinted at some of the differences already but uh the synoptics being matthew mark and luke which synoptic just means the same point of view, basically. Um, kind of They go over most of the same stories. There's a, some variation, but it's mostly the same stories, oftentimes nearly word for word. Um, and 
a lot of kind of back and forth between like a teaching and then living it out, some parables, living it out, like just kind of this alternating of orating some yeah. kind of point that Jesus wants everyone to understand and then doing it to, to bring it home. Mm -hmm. um, which there's sort of some of that here, but it's not in him telling stories in John. Um, it's more like kind of these like mystical explorations, <laughs> giving these like metaphors and figurative statements about himself and then kind of expanding on how that impacts the listeners yeah and then doing something mm -hmm. and then like so it's much less stories and more just like let me wrestle with an idea with you mm -hmm. yeah yeah conversation after conversation mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's also quite a bit later than the other gospels um there's yeah. a real range of how far how distant or clustered um the synoptics were to uh john's gospel um mm -hmm. but there is the general consensus is there's definitely been some time for reflection when the initial source material was put together may well have been much earlier mm -hmm. um but it uh the version we have is popularly thought to be 10, 20, maybe 40 years later. But um, yeah, <clears throat> the implications of that yeah, are the other, we're, we're I said the other ones being around 50 or 60 CE and, and this one being closer to 80 or 90. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got basically a generation shift of the second generation of Christians um, beginning to mature and discern like what are what are the themes of this jesus story that we want to put all together in a story um like what mattered to them in particular is going to be a bit different more refined not, not refined just um you've got more time to reflect on it and live it out so the way they're going to create literature about this guy jesus that lived 50 years prior is is going to be different and a lot of the distinctives yeah. that come from that are uh th the other uh angle of what makes john distinctive is not just the the age of it <clears throat> it's also the authors the perspective there seems to be uh in this gospel more access to mary the mother of god stories from her mm -hmm. uh in jesus's adulthood not just there's no nativity story there's no birth story it's just like here's this really epic beginning that's kind of cosmic uh and we're not talking about this guy we're talking about that guy and then it just like jumps into these story this story uh, <clears throat> from mary's that mary experienced in jesus's adulthood and then some stories of her um later on Mm -hmm. There's also the synoptic gospels tend to hang out much more around the Sea of Galilee. Right. Yeah. There are some forays into Jerusalem and then back to Galilee. Yeah. Again. Yeah. But yeah. All, all, almost all of it takes place up north until Passion Week. 
Uh, here we have, um, we do have some sojourns here and there, but there's also a distinctive sense of proximity to Jerusalem. Um, mm. In fact, the author, the, the, the author, as he is portrayed in this gospel, uh, is recognized by people who work in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense that he, this person was was known in the Jerusalem area, probably lived down there, which is a knock against it being John, son of Zebedee, up at the Sea of Galilee. We'll get to right. that later. Um, but the the perspective is really from a a different part of the land. Mm-hmm. A different community who experienced Jesus differently than the people up north, further from right. the kind of capital city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, just a, a very different emphasis on context in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so, some of those distinctives. What are what are some of the chief distinctives to you? I know we've kind of like circled around yeah. this. I want to get one more pass around it. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about like fewer parables, maybe no parables. Um, and instead it's these stories of signs that that Jesus is doing to show things and then saying, and like really bringing it home with, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am... I am, I am statements. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big difference in how Jesus is portrayed as teaching. Mm-hmm. And then what he's teaching, he's the king, the language kingdom of God is so central to his public work and witness mm-hmm. uh, what he's about in the synoptics. But here it's um, typically translated as eternal life. Right, right which are, yeah. are, are much more related than probably the normal contrast is given. Kingdom of God is down here. Right. Eternal life is up there. They're both down here. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Eternal life in John is not talking about going to heaven after you die. It's, it's something much more corporate. First of all, it's not about an individual. It's about God's people. Mm. And it's about the kind of, it's not an evacuation from the world. It's about transforming the world. Yeah. It's a down arrow of the dwelling of God is with man, humanity, not the dwelling. Imbuing life into how the world works Mm -hmm. rather than evacuating to live somewhere else. Bingo. Bingo. Mm -hmm. We're going to have really like, this will be one of the themes that we're going to explore later. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, another another thing that we're going to explore later that is really distinctive in John um, and your your translation here you change some of the language but the theme of resurrection or uh, coming awake <laughs> is a big theme in this gospel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can talk more about the specific words and what I do with it later, but yeah, it's kind of over and over in different ways, but. Um, both in the teaching and in the narrative, the stories that it describes. There's this 
definite theme of what what are we moving toward? It's this coming into life in the yes. form of resurrection, yeah. which happens in the others, right? Like it talks about Jesus rising again, right? But um, it's at a focal point in a different way in this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to, is there anything that we should be on guard for? Some, um, I guess, inherited instincts for how to handle this gospel that we should probably uh, be vigilant about as we move forward. Yeah. Um, first thing that comes to mind, which is really true of the whole Bible, <laughs> um, but it's maybe even more clear here how problematic it is, is what's called proof texting, where I just like take one little phrase or a verse or even like a paragraph whatever it is like a small section and then like using it to prove a point like well i need to show that jesus is god so where can i do that oh he says before abraham was i am that means he's the i am he's god look you know oh yeah and like i win i win the argument (laughs) um and you just can't do that and have it mean what it's supposed to mean um these things are building especially in john there's like several chapter sections that are like one thought like like four or five chapters in a row really need to be taken together to understand any one part of what's happening within that section Uh, and that's kind of true everywhere but it's just big sections in john um so like talking about like john 316 like well i i can uh quote that put it on a card that i hold over my head at a football game but unless i'm reading john one through four all together basically i can't really get understand the fullness of what that's meaning it doesn't i can't use it to prove something it needs to be part of a conversation yeah. Yeah. Well, and and to that point, I want to address a question that may be in some in some of your minds here, uh, and that is, well, doesn't the Bible do that itself? Doesn't don't the different authors mm. in the Bible rather do that? I mean, the author of John certainly yeah. drops quotes from their sacred literature. Um, what's distinctive? Why why can they why can they do that, but we can't, Brandon? Yeah, well, it's because they do, but they don't. Uh, There is a very logistic difference for them versus for us. Um, So we have chapter numbers, verse numbers in our Bibles that we can point to. It's like, okay, what we're talking about is the whole of chapter nine uh, or something like that. And they did not. (laughs) It... uh, those numbers weren't added for centuries after this was written. Um, So the way, and keep in mind too, like there are no spaces, there's no punctuation. Uh, 
there's no page numbers there are no pages these are not in books these are in scrolls so you'd have an entire book one block of text no page no page breaks no paragraph breaks no periods no spaces between words it's just one solid block of text for the entire book holy crud so how do you reference what part of it you're talking about you quote a little bit of it so if someone says if you want to get someone to think of the whole story of nicodemus you would say for god so loved the world and they're like oh i know where that is let me find that and then look at the context mm-hmm. and, and the it's implications time to of that bit of the literature spills in intentionally right. it's not an accidental spilling in it's Right. This is just the handle that I gave you to like lift up the whole thing. Right. So really, if you're wanting to do like real study of these books the way the early church would have, every time you see a quotation from the Hebrew Bible, you would go back. Well, the, they would probably actually have it memorized, but you would go back and read like not just Zechariah 9, 4 or whatever it's quoting. You would read. I don't know if there are nine chapters in Zechariah, whatever. Uh, You would read that whole chapter, maybe even the chapter before and after. You would have to like look through and see what is this whole section in Zechariah communicating? What's the context here? Okay, that's what Jesus has in mind when he says this in John. Hmm. That's important. So it's, yeah, it's not meant to be a proof text. It's meant to be a reference, a reference number, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you're, uh, browsing through John's gospel and you hit upon a line that you're familiar with. Read it in context over and over and over again until the original sense of it loses a sense of familiarity and it, or I guess it more feels more familiar to its con- to the surrounding flow of story or argument that's happening in the literature until it's, yeah. it makes more sense there than it does in the, um stratosphere of our own assumptions that we mm-hmm. that we bring to it yeah i'll say and another thing to be I, for is going to be go ahead <laughs> i was say and i and and other bible producers have often put footnotes to say hey this sentence that you see here that's a quotation from exodus 34 like go go look at it and so yeah. i so that's helpful but don't just skim over those like look at it yeah yeah, and as you'll, if this is your first season with us, um, there is a link to Brandon's translation in the episode liner notes. Uh, be sure to grab the one if you are able to that has the footnotes, so you can easily not just reference his rationalizations for different and explanations for different translation decisions, but also a lot of these. Hey, turn in your other bible to <laughs> zechariah or whatever mm-hmm. uh, as we said earlier a good um assumption a good thing to be on guard for as well is just going to be the anti-semitism thing anytime mm-hmm. you bump into something that is using the language of and you won't see it here but so be listening or looking carefully for all the places where um brandon uses torah instead of law or uses um the religious leaders of Judea or something like that, instead of the Jews mm-hmm. um, right. to catch all these little places that may seem innocuous, like 
to you, but um, I, I would invite you to listen deeply to those who have um, been on the receiving end of how those translations have been used to kill people. Systematically. Yeah, yeah, systematically kill people. Um, and what may seem inconsequential to uh, my Gentile ears has been um, public execution for others. So um, mm -hmm. it's been a journey for me to actually like, go, oh, okay, I don't understand how those dots are connected, but clearly my ancestors had no trouble connecting language of the Jews did this and the Jews did that too, therefore we should be violent to them or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and this is not a... Yeah. just a part of history in the past like just a couple of months ago there was graffiti at a high school here in portland that was like with anti-semitic slurs yeah. um it was a big deal and really scary for the jews in our community and this is nice liberal portland right and it's like no it's it's still alive and well unfortunately. yeah and yeah anti-semitism is showing is rearing its head more and more publicly with uh uh, famous people and famous yes. uh, yeah. politicians and former politicians uh, being more and more overt about that stuff. So that's all from hell. It can go back to hell. Um, and we're not going to let any of that Gehenna. shit happen. And thank you. Gehenna. It can go yeah. back to Gehenna. Uh, and we're not going to let any of that bullshit um, have purchase in the Bibles we read. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'd love to just end this episode on um can we just read John 316? I want to just give a little sample platter, a little like taster like you're at Costco right. of what how your translation reads. Let's see. I love how middle-aged we are referencing Costco on air. It's a sign of responsibility, I'm told. <laughs> Yeah, if I want to flex, I show people the Costco great. membership okay. card. There it is. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you can have see it on the screen, and I'm going to read it out loud here. Um, so yeah, this is just those two verses, John chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, which are very famous. And here's the rendering that we're going to be working with. You see, this is how God loved the whole world. He gave the one-of-a-kind son so that everyone who places their trust in him would not be lost to death, but would have age-long life. God did not send the son to the whole world in order to put the whole world on trial, but so the whole world would be liberated through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ah, I'm excited for this. Yeah. like That shifts from... like really servicing the punitive like on trial sense of things as well as liberation there at the end yeah. not using the word begot only begotten <laughs> right like yeah no more like yeah. religious technical language yeah oh i'm excited for yeah. this yeah so let's wrap this up uh, thank you for starting this journey of this season with us. Uh, 
the easiest way to support Founding Translation is to leave us a rating or a review on whatever app or player or website or whatever you're enjoying this on, especially Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for more people to find the show and join the conversation. And that joining the conversation is the second best way to support the show. You can do that by becoming a sponsor for just $5 a month. And when you do that, you get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on unceded Chinook and Kalapuya lands. Goodbye, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Bye, everybody.